This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. Tonight, we bring you our second annual Oscars preview for 2022. However, quickly before we get to the show, next week we will be discussing possibly the greatest sports movie ever and definitely the one you should watch every March, Hoosiers from 1986, directed by David Anspaugh. Written by Angelo Pizzo, I hope I get those names right, starring Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, and Dennis Hopper. I know I got those ones right. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. And as always, please like, follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use so you can get all of our content coming up. All right, so Dad, where should we start? I think we take on some of the bottom categories first and build our way up to Best Picture, including the categories that I have predictions for but that we are not doing part of our wager or not doing as part of our wager, and then we'll kind of fill everybody in on the wager and kind of work back from there. Is that all right? That's fine. All right, so the categories that you said that you did not want to make a prediction for, at least for the point of the wager. I think some of these are probably the easiest to pick, but best animated short, it seems to me that Robin Robin will be the predicted winner for that one. So I'm going to call that one best makeup and hairstyling. I think this one's a slam dunk as well, because I think this might actually garner two awards, but we'll get to that coming up. Best makeup and hairstyling, the eyes of Tammy Faye. That movie is almost entirely made by the makeup and hairstyling in a way that most other biography movies are not. So I call that one. Best costume design also seems to be a slam dunk. It's going to end up being Cruella, partly due to the the fashionista atmosphere or subject matter of that particular movie. So we'll go with that. Best documentary short. It is not one that I saw or was available to me, I think, for the most part, but Queen of Basketball seems to be the going front runner for that one. I will call that as my predicted shot. Best Visual Effects. I got to all of these movies as well. Some of them were not nominated for anything else other than this, but being a superhero and big movie budget fan, uh, I got to see all of these in theaters, except for Dune. I think I saw that one at home, but that one is the one I'm going to call for Best Visual Effects. I think that's going to get a lot of below-the-line type of uh, awards for this particular Oscars, kind of in the way that the once-heralded uh, Mad Max Fury Road also got a lot of the below-the-line awards. And then finally, Best Live Action Short. That one, to me, appears like The Long Goodbye seems to be the running favorite at the moment. So I will call that one as well for my prediction. All right, so then let's get over to the big awards, or excuse me, the ones we're at least doing for our wager, and we'll fill you in on the wager. So uh, I think that leaves us with 17 categories. Yes, 17 full categories that we're going to be making predictions for. The most correct automatically wins. If there's a tie, we do have a tiebreaker, which we'll get to right before we get to best picture which is the person that will appear last on the in memoriam. 
every year we seem to do or bet on this anyway. So I figured this was a good tiebreaker and we can make our picks for who we think is going to be the last person featured on the In Memoriam. Usually first and last people are the, I guess, biggest stars or the most recognizable names. So if we end up having the same person, we'll just kind of go to a next closest and go from there. But uh, otherwise, the most categories selected correctly or predicted correctly wins. You get a point for each. And the loser has to do a bad movie of the other person's choosing as an individual episode, like we would do a normal episode, but they have to watch whatever piece of shit that the other person selects in order to uh, think that it's good or at least pretend that it has some greatest movie of all time value. So that'll be excruciating. Yes, yes, it will. I'm down to about three different films as options. I have to make sure one of them is even available. Well, I mean, I could always go with something like uh, Grown Ups 2. Not even Grown Ups 1. We're going to get the sequel. I have uh, Caddyshack 2 on my list. Ishtar. You keep saying how that's not a bad film, and yet you want to pick that one supposedly because, uh, I don't know, whatever. Bonfires of the Vanity? Bonfire of the Vanities. Ah, okay. Anyway. Bonfire of the Vanities. All right, so let's start with Best Original Song, then. That'll be our first category up. Do you want to go first or second? Go ahead. Best Original Song, I think it's going to come from what I also think is probably likely to get Best Animated Feature, and that's going to be Dos Arogitas. I hope I pronounced that correctly, but uh, from Encanto. And I also think that's probably the song that should win. I think, you know, don't get me wrong on some of the other songs that we had for this, but I just didn't think that they really, they were important all that much to the movies that we got. Like the Beyonce song is thrown on the end of King Richard, kind of in the way that it seemed like kind of a desperate Oscar play as opposed to being a featured song in the middle of the movie. So this one, at least, the songs, due to the nature of what Encanto is and the fact that for right now, I think several of them are still featured in the top 40 uh, of the Billboard charts, I think that film has had a significant impact culturally. And while this isn't one of the main songs, it's not, we don't talk about Bruno, which is like, I think, in the top five yet, as far as pop songs, which is odd enough by itself. But this seems to be the movie that has made the biggest wave as far as what its songs and impact are outside of the movie campaigns, which is unusual. And the only other song that I would say that is even in the running is probably No Time to Die. And I didn't particularly care for that version of uh, a James Bond theme song this time around. So I know that the last two James Bond theme songs have gotten the Best Original Song Oscar I really kind of actually hope that this one does not. It really doesn't deserve it as far as I'm continuing. So I will win and should win both Dos Origat Orogitas. Ugh. <laughs> I have no time to die. Um, I mean, not the, my favorite song either, but I just think the Oscars have a tendency to like to award consolation prizes and uh, as much impact as the Daniel Craig Bond films have had. I think this is going to be a consolation prize, a, a one more Oscar to award to the Bond franchise, thanking them for at least keeping 
people coming to the movie theaters again or getting them started again. And I think that's why it's likely to do. I, I mean, I think that uh, the Encanto song is probably a better song, and it wouldn't surprise me if it wins, but I'm going to go with just my gut and No Time to Die. And what was your should win? Probably, is it Dos Orijitas? Orijitas, I think. You wouldn't pronounce the G. Yeah, you would. Wouldn't it be an H sound? I don't believe so. Uh, well, that's Dor- or Dos Orijitas, I believe. Yes. I had my troubles with that one, too. Obviously. All right. So then let's go to Best Documentary. I went with Summer of Soul, although I really liked. All right, so I I should be giving what the nominees are when we do these. So, all right, best documentary then. Ascension, Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, and Writing with Fire. The only one I have not seen is Writing with Fire. I think that's the same for you. I'm going to pick Summer of Soul. I think it's likely to be the winner. My favorite of that was actually Flea. Um, I thought Flea was a wonderfully done film and uh, probably deserve it of the best documentary. But because it's animated in large part, I don't think it's likely to win. A- or Attica was a very good film itself. And, you know, any one of those three, if it wins, I'd be pleased. But I would say that it's going to be Summer of Soul simply because it was more joyous it was uh, a more of a positive time or a positive film about black culture in the 60s um, it had more purpose and meaning as they were trying to struggle with what the meaning or definition was of being a uh, black or african-american artist in a uh, very white dominated world yet at that time and i, I thought it was well done because of that and uh, the interviews with some of the uh, artists was very entertaining and very eye-opening. I would agree. I unfortunately think Summer of Soul seems likely. I think it's gotten all of the buzz coming in and has been the favorite front runner. And that's unfortunate because I think a lot of Flea in a very difficult subject matter but it's nominated for Best International Feature, which I don't think it will win. It's nominated for Best Animated Feature that I don't think it'll win. And it's nominated for Best Documentary, and I don't think it'll win that either. Which, to be shut out of all three categories, just, I don't know. It, I think it's too impactful of a film, but it's probably, as you mentioned, somewhat sad and kind of dark, I guess is the best word I can use for it to be a favorite film for people because I don't know how many members of the Academy are just necessarily turning that on on an average like Friday night of the people in the Academy that actually bothered to watch all of the below the line categories. So I think that if you're probably going to go on the one that people have more likely seen, it's probably Summer of Soul. And then by default, then you're going to get that one as your uh, best documentary. And, uh, That's too bad because I really do think the world of soul. I agree with you as well. Attica was a very well done documentary about a very difficult subject that I was not as familiar with. 
So I would be okay with that one winning as well, but that one seems like a distant third or fourth in this particular category. I know both you and I had a very difficult time with Ascension because it's not a narrative documentary, and so it was kind of difficult to follow for long periods of time. But should win, I'll go with Flea. Will win, though, I will agree with you on Summer of Soul. We both saw Flea. You watched the dubbed version, or I watched the dubbed version. You watched the subtitled version? Correct. I thought that the dubbed version and actually getting to hear the person speaking the lines and uh, having an actor doing it, you could feel the emotion more of the events than the subtitles. And I think it had a much, I would encourage people to watch the dubbed version for that reason. Well, it's the one drawback that I've said for a long time that I have with foreign films and subtitles is I find it a little bit harder, especially with uh, now that we're getting a lot of these Asian cinema nominees. I mean, Drive My Car, Parasite, and we've had a couple of others in recent years. I think there's something culturally that I have a harder time picking up as far as, I don't know if it's a stoicism or or not. I don't know. If, if it's a way of emoting, I think it's different in Eastern culture as opposed to Western culture. And I know Flea is not necessarily that, but it's a little bit more difficult due to the animation to pick up a lot of the emotion and feeling in the same way when you're having to read the subtitles. I mean, I can appreciate it from a value of what this movie is and all it goes through and the difficult subject matter, but I still do think that there's a piece of me that's separated from it in a way that you're probably not by having the dubbed version. So it'd be curious if... If you wanted to compare the two and kind of go back and forth, they have both the dubbed and the subtitled versions on Hulu right now available for everyone. So, I mean, that's for your own viewing pleasure, at least if you're in the United States. All right, then let's go to Best International Film, which we just discussed. The nominees are Drive My Car, Flea, The Hand of God, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, and The Worst Person in the World. The only one I have not gotten to is Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom. I think that one's only available on VOD right now, but I did get to the rest of these. I think you have only gotten to Flea out of this category, but let's let you go first then. What do you think will win and what should win? Drive My Car, the Academy all but nominated it for... Or christened it for this position by nominating it and being the only foreign language film to be nominated for Best Picture. So automatically, Drive My Car will win. I did see bits and pieces of uh, Worst Person in the World because you were watching them while I was staying with you for last week. No, you didn't. So I thought it was on. No. I watched The Worst Person in the World in theaters a few weeks back. Okay. My mistake, then. And I don't think I watched bits and pieces of The Hand of God around you. Oh, maybe that's what the one was, then. That's the Italian film. Yes. All right. Unfortunately, with commitments and having to be out of town, I did not get to everything I had hoped. All right. So you're just going to skip should win, then. That's fine. I agree with you. should win, probably. I, I mean, I can't really do it because I haven't seen all the films. I understand. So. Then I will agree that Will Win is going to be Drive My Car. I would agree with your assessment that it's all but basically guaranteed to probably win Best International Feature by being nominated. 
for the best picture when the others have not. Although I would say that Flea is probably somewhat in the running due to its multiple category uh, finish. And I think this might be a closer one. So maybe it's not a complete slam dunk, but I would almost guess that Drive My Car is not only the front runner, but the almost certain winner of this particular category. And I also think it's deserving of it. Having seen it uh, last week, I think it's a very good movie. I, I know you compared it to Driving Miss Daisy. It's not at all. It has almost no comparability other than he has somebody driving him around at times during the film, but that's not even the biggest part of the film. So it's a three-hour movie, and it's mostly about grief, and it takes about 40 minutes to get into the driving action of the movie, no pun intended, and it's a little bit slow to start out with, but once you get into that second part or the second act of the movie, I think it starts to really flow, and it's a, it's a much different and better movie. But uh, that being said, um, I think that should also be the winner of this particular category as well. But there were several very good movies in this one. I enjoyed uh, The Worst Person in the World as well, but uh, Drive My Car to me is probably the best and most deserving of the films in this category this year. Best Production Design. The nominees are Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Do you want to go or should I? I don't care. Well, I picked, or I think Dune will win. It was a very well done film. That's the one I think is going to win. What should win to me should have been West Side Story. Because I think it was so beautifully done. The set locations, where they, how they decided to film it. The way they filmed it just, to me, was powerful. Um, I think, though, that it almost overshadowed at times the acting, because I thought there was some performances acting-wise that were a little not not necessarily strong. And, uh, and I think that's ultimately what kind of torpedoed the, uh, the film as far as uh, the amount of people who went to see it and uh, how well it's supposedly going to do in the Oscar categories. I completely disagree with that assessment. I don't think that the acting jobs has anything to do with it. It's a musical that was made in the 60s that has no reticence with people under 40 at this point in time, other than movie nerds like myself, and was put out at a time around Christmas that nobody other than people over 40 wanted to see it. It would have been a great movie this next Christmas, but because people like you were staying inside yet due to the variants, I don't think anybody bothered to go see it. And so it's gotten somewhat of a second birth on streaming when it's been available on both Disney Plus and Hulu, but it's just never going to make up the ground that it lost by being so far down the list of popular movies early on in its release window. That to me says more than anything of the of the acting jobs because the acting jobs you wouldn't get reports on until after the opening weekend and the opening weekend was one of the worst ones for Spielberg. In fact, it's probably the worst opening weekend of any Spielberg movie ever. But I agree with you. I I thought that there are four really worthy entrants to production design in this particular category. I thought Nightmare Alley was exceptional in the way that it kind of set tone and all of the set design just kind of gave you a certain feeling of exactly the type of world you were in, but it still felt like a Guillermo del Toro movie, even though it was much more grounded and realistic than any other movie that he's done up to this point. It wasn't quite as fantastical. And 
anytime you were in the carnival area, I thought it was a completely different movie and just had a different atmosphere and feeling. Dune, the grandiosity of the scale that they had to create in the world building to pull that off is exceptional. I think that should win and probably will win just from the impossible task that Denis Villeneuve pulled off in making that world come to life in a way that I don't think has ever been seen before. I also think that, as you said, West Side Story, the West Side or the redevelopment, the atmosphere, the environment, the neighborhood is just as much of a character in this movie as in any other. So you had to get that right and get the tone. But it was a darker, slightly different shaded version than the original. The original movie from 1960 that won Best Picture is a very bright colored movie. This one is supposed to be much more tragic, I guess, in its its tone and tenor. And as such, as a remake, trying to put that into a color palette, the way that Spielberg developed it, I thought was very unique. And I also want to give a special shout out to the tragedy of Macbeth because I know that most people may not have an appreciation for it, but with how simplistic the production design of that set was, it seemed to me like the most stage quality like of any of the Shakespearean plays that I've seen actually cinematized. I know for some people that probably leaves a lot to be desired, but I actually liked the attempt that they made in designing something that looked like it could have been a stage play that was filmed. And so the minimalistic viewpoint that they gave from us or gave for us as an audience during that movie, I thought was actually very interesting. And I really enjoyed seeing that point of view in a, in a way that hasn't really been presented on film before. I think it very much was reminiscent of a lot of stage productions of Shakespeare, uh, American Players Theater in Wisconsin does that minimalist uh, sets. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park, I think that's what they were almost trying to do, was to, uh, instead of elaborate sets, keep it more simple so that the power of the words and the character was more in the front than set design and location and all of that. Sure. Agreed. So again, to recap, will win and should win for me is Dune, just due to the massive scale and accomplishment of that one. But uh, I really think that this is a a very stacked category this year in a way that uh, I'm not sure many other years have been able to compete. So best sound, let's move to that one. Nominees, Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. I I actually picked... Dune on this one, I, I thought that, uh, again, the background, the, the music, the sound, the sound of combat, more or less, helped fill up a large gap because so much of the film was in wide angle and wide angle shots. The sound really had to jump out at you to make you feel part of the action. Uh, I thought Dune did a very good job. I had a close second as being West Side Story, again, simply because um, there's a lot of scenes right down to you can hear the footsteps falling on the pavement at times when it's scenes that do not have dialogue or music. It's like in a transitional period. And stuff like that really has an impact on 
how you feel about the transition between scenes. So I, I, I liked the sound aspects of West Side Story, but I think Dune will win and probably should win. So usually this category is featured for a lot of action movies that have a lot of loud, explosive noises in them. That's why something like No Time to Die is in this one, having a lot of different sound qualities to them. I think the last scene as the islands are exploding is particularly why this one was probably nominated. And you can also kind of get something where it's got a lot of background soft noise, such as Westerns, The Power of the Dog probably being up for that. But I thought that the three best, I would agree with you on West Side Story. I don't think I need to go too much more into that one. I thought uh, Belfast had an exceptional sound quality to it that was a little bit more unique. Despite really being the production value behind all of our shows, I really have no idea what the hell goes into sound mixing, sound effects, sound quality on just about anything having to do with movies. So I really, because I have no expertise in it at all, try and look for something unique. With last year, I thought it was easier to pick something out because one movie, more than almost any other, had a sound quality that was necessary to telling the story in the movie that they were trying to do. And that was The Sound of Metal. So I thought that was a little bit different. It was almost a character in itself, the the sound part of that movie. Whereas I don't think you have any other movies in this category that are similar to this. So it's a little bit harder to pick. But I'll go with Dune as both should and will win simply because there is an aspect to that movie in the world building. When we talked about production design in the previous category, that the sound has to back up those production designs. From the wings of, I don't know what the helicopter-type ships that they have are, but just the the humming sound that's going from that. Just something so simple like that could probably be terribly done, but the way that they developed that and put that together and then made that seem realistic to me is the small things with the world-building aspect of this movie and the scale of it as to why it should and will win. Best score. The nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune, Encanto, Parallel Mothers, and The Power of the Dog. So I don't, I I didn't see Parallel Mothers. I don't think you did either. Uh, Did you get to Encanto? Yes. Okay. I think we've gotten to the four other movies in this one. I didn't really think that much of the Don't Look Up score. I didn't really think that much of the power of the dog score. So to me, it came down to a choice between Dune and Encanto. Encanto, I think, is going to be recognized for several things, or at least a part of several things going in this movie. And I just don't think that overall score is going to end up being one of them. It's a matter of it comes down to the second most recognizable director for the general public is Hans Zimmer. He has never won an Academy Award. This would be his first for Dune, so I think not only will it win, but I think it should win, if nothing else, for that. Uh, I'm going to go with my boy Hans Zimmer. He should have probably had uh, multiples by this point in time, but uh, that's where I'm going with this one. Should win? I have thought Akanto should, but I think Dune will, and it's in part because of what you said. I think a Lifetime Achievement Award for Hans Zimmer because he's been shut out up to now. I didn't think that much of the score of Dune. It's not when I think of the film, the music uh, that powers 
you know, it has more power to me. Whereas a Kanto, the score, I think, is as much of the movie as anything. But that's, again, who I think should win versus who will win. All right. Best editing. The nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, The Power of the Dog, and Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, for me, will win in this category is going to be Dune. It seems like the absolute front runner. And I've talked a lot already about the production value and the amount of scale that goes into this. In fact, I think that I know I would have to take somebody out of the best director category, but I still think it was an absolute snub that somehow Denis Villeneuve did not get nominated for best director because he had to put all of these pieces together that are probably going to win a bunch of the awards. And the fact that he's not nominated for being able to keep all of those plates spinning to me is almost a travesty, but should win for me. I actually thought the best edited film as far as the amount of things that were going on, the transitions that you had to make and that you were flipping back and forth in pieces of time, but you never seemed to lose your place in the movie, was Tick, Tick, Boom. I know this is not necessarily going to be a popular choice for best editing, but I thought it was by far the best edited movie that I've seen this year. When I'm looking at editing, I'm considering two things. One is flow of the scenes, and there's a lot of films where they're popping around like it's a a group scene and they're popping around and there's so many angles and so many visuals of the characters in it you almost get dizzy by how quickly they're bouncing around and they change vision and and eye angle Uh, the other is pacing and realistically i thought the most or the best edited film was tick tick boom it had a great pacing to it you didn't lose track. There was not a spot that I found was boring. Power of the Dog at times to me just dragged. It's like they could have cut, you know, several minutes out of the film and made it much better because, I mean, how long do you need to see uh, a butt-naked Benedict Cumberbatch swimming? I mean, they could have done that scene in about a half amount, the amount of time uh, that they did. Stuff well, like that. It depends on whom you're asking. If you're asking the cumber bitches, then it's a much different story. But for you and I, probably not so much. Yeah. Anyway, so I know that Dune is everybody's front runner, and um, I'm going to get over with that as being the front runner. But I think Boom or Tick Tick Boom should have won, and it wouldn't surprise me if it did. I'd have a hard time believing that. It hasn't had any momentum behind it coming in, so. I, th- I think this is almost a, a pretty obvious one for Dune. But the next category is Best Cinematography, and I think that has two front runners: Nightmare Alley, Dune, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story are the nominees for this category. Right now, it seems like Dune and The Power of the Dog are the two front runners for cinematography. But I went with actually The Tragedy of Macbeth as my favorite for this year. Again, I thought some of the sweeping panning visuals that we got in West Side Story were excellent and amazing, but we've seen that out of Spielberg before. It's not really something that was unique or different. I thought that it was unique or different to a musical that he hadn't done up to this point, but I mean, it's Spielberg. You kind of almost expect that, and that's unfortunate because you don't want to feel like you're taking for granted excellence, which he almost seems to produce at every level. But I thought the tragedy of Macbeth was the most uniquely shot film that I saw this year. Again, when it comes to the production value and the minimalistic 
and how they did certain close-up visuals versus how they were doing certain point of view visuals and the way that they presented the field of vision seemed very much in a way that you would view a play if you were in the front row. And it never really seemed to come away from giving you the visualistic of this is a stage play being presented to you in cinematic version. And so from that standpoint, I thought it was the most auteur version of a cinematography that we got this year. I thought it had the most point of view and the most creativity. And so that to me is what should win. However, will win. I still think it's going to be Dune. I agree with your comments as far as uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, but I'm going to go against the grain on this one. And I'm going to pick power of the dog for cinematography simply because of the outdoor scenes, the, the vistas that you had of the West, the uh, way that they were able to shoot that the, the house that they were living in was more or less isolated, so you understood the characters feeling isolated and alone. And so I, and I, for another reason, which I'm not going to get to until we get to the best picture, uh, I'm going to go with Power of the Dog for cinematography over Dune. Okay. So you went with the other front runner. It's not exactly against the grain, but still. All right. Best animated feature. The nominees are Encanto, Luca, Flea, The Mitchells versus The Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. Any of these you want to discuss? Well, I've went in and talked about Flea a lot. Mitchells and the Machines was enjoyable. Encanto was very enjoyable. Luca was decent. I did not see Raya and the Last Dragon. Of those that I did see, I'm going to pick Encanto. I think Flea should win because of the subject nature and the power of it. Um, but I don't think it's going to. I think it's going to be in Kanto. Again, I've already talked up Flea quite a bit. I thought this was kind of a unique entry into the field. Normally, when we think about best animated feature, it almost feels, oh, this is the kids' movie section. And it's kind of segregated to that area of the, the telecast that, okay, this is the one where we get all of the Pixar people together. And I think there's one Disney movie and there are two Pixar movies entered into this particular category. Now, I will go with Encanto will win because, again, I think from the cultural aspect and the impact that it's made just generally, I think this is the one that most people will have seen and will have picked to be, like, the best overall quality from a music standpoint, from the songs, from the even the animation is still really good, from the cultural diversity play that it has. But you have a Southeast Asian film which is made on mythology and Ryan, the last dragon, you have a post-apocalyptic film of certain quality. You have an, uh, an Afghani refugee film in this category. You have an Italian film about a sea monster. And then finally you have a mythical kind of magical house dwelling encampment or enchanted house uh, in Colombia as your diversity plays in the animated feature category. Clearly, the Oscars knows that the Academy has changed dramatically as to the number of represented people and the diversity within its own membership at this point in time. For me, should win is probably also in Kanto, but I'll have to tell you, as far as the 
animated category goes, this is probably the best five that we've had collectively, one through five. Because even though I didn't think that much of Luca, to have that as your fifth entrant uh, compared to some other ones we've had in other years, I think is outstanding. Flea, I guess, on its own could be a, a great entrant. And Kanto is this just juggernaut of a film that has taken the entire world by storm at the moment in time. And I think Raya and the Last Dragon might be the best visual animation that I've seen in a movie, I think, ever. So I would encourage people to watch that one as well, just from the amount of things that they did to just the small tidbits, the rain that's in that film constantly, all the small little animated parts. It is a visually stunning animated movie. All right, that takes us to Best Original Screenplay. And this is where we're going to start getting some of the big named categories so far and maybe some divergence between you and I. We've been pretty similar up till this point. Nominees are Don't Look Up, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, The Worst Person in the World, and King Richard. I really like Belfast, Don't Look Up, and King Richard. I never was able to get a good feel for Licorice Pizza or understand exactly <laughs> what, uh, what the film was supposed to be or understand exactly why I was supposed to be interested in the characters there. I went with Belfast. Belfast had a, had a real good meaning to me. I know it did not speak to you as much, but I think in part I lived through that time frame. I also have been a parent and understand the feelings that parents have uh, in trying to protect their children and what you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to sacrifice neighborhood. You're willing to sacrifice the way of life that you enjoyed or liked in order to protect. And, uh, you know, we picked our where we're living now because we wanted to have an environment that we felt was good for raising children. And you get that feeling with Belfast. And uh, Sir Kenneth Brana. I believe wrote the, the screenplay, or at least, or I don't even think it was co-written. He might have had a collaborator, um, but it's primarily, from what I understand, his story of his growing up in Belfast. I'm pretty sure you're correct on all of those fronts. And so that's the kind of thing that I think that the Academy feels, and I think there's a lot of sentiment. You know, there's a lot of people who like Brana, who We'll do that. We'll, we'll go with him. So that's why I'm picking that one. You're picking that to win? Yes. Okay. Uh, that is the second favorite. I think right now most people think it's going to be the eventual crowning of Licorice Pizza. So that's the one I'm going to pick for will win. To me, that is just the Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't won an Oscar yet. So we're going to give him one award. I didn't really think that Licorice Pizza was all that great of a screenplay. I thought it was kind of a mid-level Best Picture nominee. It's certainly not Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie as far as I'm concerned. I don't think many people would say that it's his best movie, but a lot of people also like Paul Thomas Anderson a lot more than I do. I frankly just don't understand most of his films. That being said, the most unique film out of these five to me that was Best Original Screenplay is Don't Look Up. It is, to me, the network of our time, the one that's supposed to be so ridiculously absurd 
that it's comedic in its day, but eventually starts to be so prophetic that it becomes cringeworthy. And the fact is, is that probably the second half of the movie, I think it's like a two and a half hour movie, if I remember right, because we watched this, I think, over Christmas. But like the last hour and a half, maybe two hours of that movie, I could barely sit through because it was so cringy, everything that was going on, because it seemed like it could actually happen. And to be able to write that with a certain level of farce and get all of the tones correct to the point that it didn't feel so far removed from reality. When you talk about farce and comedy like this, usually you'd think that sometimes you have to kind of ham it up a little bit. And so I thought that they straddled such a fine line in being able to find a movie that kind of worked for me that I thought this was the most unique script that I'd seen this year. So that's what I think should win. It won't. But uh, I think the two front runners are Belfast and Licorice Pizza in this category. And I think Licorice Pizza is the clear front runner. So I will pick that. Best Adapted Screenplay. The nominees are The Lost Daughter, Dune, Drive My Car, The Power of the Dog, and Coda. Now this is a category which will probably be the harbinger in most people's minds of what will happen in the Best Picture category. It Power of the Dog or Coda wins, apparently that's indicative of which film may or may not win Best Picture. So in this category, however, I, for whatever reason, think that The Power of the Dog will win this category, just because I still do think that that is the most likely for screenplay, but we'll see what uh, we get to when we get to Best Picture. Should win for me? I thought the adaptation that they had to do from such a dense book And the fact that they were able to pull it off with such plomb, and even though the first hour of that movie is kind of slow and it turned into a two-part movie instead of one, which I don't think they really advertised until people saw it, I still think Dune is probably the best adapted version just due to the difficulty of adapting that book. So I will go with that as my should win. To me, should win is Coda. I thought the script was uh, extremely well done. There were a lot of subtleties in the film that you don't pick up on until after you stop and reflect on them. And you can see by the action of the film how the relationship of the, of the characters changes over time. And it's done in a very subtle way um, that makes it very impactful. So I really like the way that the screenplay was written. I think that what will win is Power of the Dog, and I think you're correct. I'm again picking this based on who I think is going to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Okay, Best Supporting Actress. Uh, This one's a pretty well slam dunk if you've been following the award shows up to this point, but the nominees are Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ajene Ellis for King Richard, and Judy Dench for Belfast. I personally didn't think much of Judy Dench's performance. I think to me this is, oh, it's Dame Judy Dench, let's give her another nomination type of uh, nomination in this one. Jesse Buckley, to me, was probably one of the best uh, acting performances I've seen this year. I didn't think that much of Ariana DeBose, who is my prediction to win, because it's almost a slam dunk category at this point. She's going through coronation more or less to get this award. But I really didn't think that much of her portrayal of the secondary character in West Side Story. I thought she was actually outacted 
by uh, Rachel Zegler, who should have been nominated for Best Actress, if you ask me, from West Side Story. But somehow she got the nomination and the push from uh, the studio in order to be the primary frontrunner in this one. And it looks like she's going to end up winning it. But should win for me is Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog. Frankly, as far as that movie goes, she is the best acting job out of anybody in that movie, if you ask me. And I thought she definitely deserved to be nominated and probably should have been uh, the front runner all along in this one. But uh, unfortunately, I think it's Ariana DeBose's to lose at this point. I'm just going to back you up and say the same thing. It's exactly what I had. I thought Kirsten Dunst or Kirsten Dunst really did an excellent job. You know, she's had a long career in Hollywood, primarily for her looks more than anything. And now she's kind of, what I believe she and Jesse Plemons have three kids or two kids, something like that. And she took some time out of Hollywood, more or less, after they were married to have her children and now is trying to get back in and is trying to get into more of the mature female roles. Um, I thought she portrayed this brilliantly as both somebody overwhelmed and uh, feeling isolated, overwhelmed by her events and isolated in who she could talk to, who she could rely on, and who she could express how she was feeling to. But also being crippled by paranoia. Yeah. Well, and with with good reason. Her turning to the bottle was, um, I mean, it was an obvious situation that you could feel that this was her only out. But again, I will agree with you that I think Ariana DeBose will be given the award, but... I thought her character acting was okay. I did not think she did as well as Kirsten Dunst. Okay. That takes us to Best Supporting Actor, usually one of the most stacked categories each and every year, and this year was not any different. Troy Kotzer for CODA, Cody Smith-McPhee, The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons being The Ricardos, Karen Hines for Belfast, and Jesse Plemons for The Power of the Dog. Jesse Plemons is great in almost everything he does, but I don't think this is his Oscar to win. Kieran Hines was absolutely outstanding in Belfast and was probably the best character of any of those that were in the movie, if you ask me, as the grandfather. J.K. Simmons is always great, but since he's already got one, I really don't feel that needing to give him another one, particularly compared to the one he won for. I just... You know, there, there's a very stark difference. I thought he was good, not necessarily great. So this category has pretty much come down to two people. It's Troy Kotzer for CODA, and it's Cody Smith-McPhee for The Power of the Dog. And early on, I think the clear front runner for uh, the Oscar was Cody Smith-McPhee. At this point, though, due to all of the award shows, it seems like it's Troy Kotzer's to lose. I will go with him as my will win, and he definitely should win. He is outstanding as the father in CODA. And for a movie that does not have a lot of nominations, particularly in this uh, particular Oscars, and still is, I think, one of the maybe top three, top four movies that could win Best Picture, this is one of the few opportunities for it to be recognized. I think that for his involvement and the amount of time that he spent in the industry and the difficulty of him ever being recognized for a performance like this ever again. I think he is going to run away with this category at the Oscars and it'll be a nice 
uh, pat on the back moment for everybody that he ends up winning. I'm sure he'll have a great speech that will be very unique in the history of the Oscars. If this were any other year and Troy Kotzer was not there, J.K. Simmons would be my selection. I thought he did an absolutely phenomenal job of playing Bill Hawley, or Bill Frawley, excuse me. He just, anytime he gets into a character that has some degree of bite, he is one of those characters or one of those actors that has an ability to be snarky without being obnoxious. And that character called for that, and I thought he did a phenomenal job. As I'm watching it, I'm thinking this is a a one hell of a job as a supporting actor in this film. But even then, Trey Kotzer should win, and he will win uh, Best Actor because the job he did was just phenomenal. All right. So then finally we get to Best Actress. None of the nominees in this category are up for Best Picture, which I think might be a first. We had Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Kristen Stewart for Spencer, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. And because the Oscars is predisposed to having a transformational character of playing somebody that lived in real life that you could compare them against and see how well of a job that they did impersonating somebody, they're going to give this Oscar to Jessica Chastain, as well as the fact that she's been nominated. I think this will be her like sixth time or something, and she hasn't won up to this point. So I think this is unfortunately going to go to her, but I'm predisposed to never voting for somebody who played a real person anymore until the Oscars finally creates a subcategory for played a real person in life as uh, best actress and best actor, because all the time these categories just come down to whoever did the best impersonation in a biopic, and I'm annoyed by that instead of, you know, actually trying to do something with acting. So by happenstance, I have not seen Parallel Mothers and every other category or person in this category played a real person except Olivia Coleman. So somewhat out of default and the fact that it's Olivia Coleman and she's outstanding, I think she should win. She will not win. It seems like it's Jessica Chastain's to lose. Well, I have no such delusions and I understand. And quite frankly, if you want to create a separate category, you don't need two. You can do one, which is best male or female actor portraying a real person type of thing. You don't need to divide it. You can just have... Fine, I don't care, but it... it... Unisex. Anyway, but I, I think... Uh, I thought the Nicole Kidman did a really good job, but I uh, still, after having watched the film, and I watched it before you, I think Jessica uh, Chastain should win and will win. Moving to Best Actor... The nominees are Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Will Smith for King Richard. Uh, I don't think this is going to need much fanfare. I would be shocked if you don't predict Will Smith as the clear winner because he seemed to win every single time that he's been up for the award for whatever he's nominated for in this season, it's clearly his coronation. We're having our moment where Will Smith is finally going to win his Oscar. And yet, to me, the best actor this year should be going to Andrew Garfield. 
I thought he was outstanding in Tick, Tick, Boom. I thought he did a much more nuanced performance where he had to be energetic. He had to be all over the place. He had to create something out of almost nothing. And yes, I know this is against the grain of exactly what I said in the last category that we shouldn't do impersonations of people who actually lived, but this was not necessarily a famous person that we could immediately compare against. And I thought he did an outstanding job of basically taking a person that I had no familiarity with at all and making him human and putting him in into a situation where I really believed all of the pitfalls of trying to become the guy who would eventually create rent. So for me, he was the best performance this year. I agree. I think he was the best performance and, and I would have loved to have seen him win this because not only did he do a great job in this, I think he did also a great job playing Jim Baker in uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye. So again, very nuanced roles, both of them and both rather different, but I, it will be Will Smith. I have no question. I, I think originally most people thought it was going to be Cumberbatch. He still, I think, has an outside chance, but it's it's coronation time, and that's what's going to end up happening. All right, so then we go to Best Director. The nominees are Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Risuki Hamagachi for Drive My Car, Steven Spielberg for West Side Story, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. I think two of the nominees in this particular category were properly nominated for screenplay, but I didn't necessarily think that their direction was all that exceptional, that being both Brana and Paul Thomas Anderson. I thought the primary driver of what they did in those movies was the use of the pen as opposed to the camera. For me, I would have taken one of those out and put in at least Denis Villeneuve for Dune in this particular category. He is not there, so I can't predict him as a should win. So for me, I know that Jane Campion is almost a lock to win this category and will most likely be another one, because I am not predicting The Power of the Dog to win, will be another director versus uh, Best Picture winner split, as we've had almost every year, except for, I think, one out of the last like five or six. So that is pretty much a lock, but the person who should win to me is Steven Spielberg. I know that we take for granted who Steven Spielberg is and what he's created, but what he did with West Side Story made it different, unique, brought it to more of a modern sensibility, changed the tone, changed the feeling of it, the, I don't know, there was something different that I could experience and be involved in, and I really, really appreciated West Side Story if only for its direction and what he accomplished in putting that together in something that I think most people would have said, why do we need to remake that film? But I thought he made his own stamp enough of it or enough on it that to me, I think he should be recognized because we can't overlook greatness when it's right in front of us sometimes. Best director, to me, it will go to Jane Campion. And I think she did a very solid job Power of the Dog necessarily was not my favorite film because, I don't know, there was something about it that just kind of, the, the story itself was sometimes difficult to uh, to deal with, and some of the characters were not the most sympathetic, but she will win. She probably is as good a uh, favorite to win that as any. I agree with you on 
on Spielberg, and I thought Spielberg's performance, he should have won or should win because what he did was is he took the original version, which I think was much more light and uh, musical, and made it into what it originally was, which is a tragedy with some level of grit that was not in the original. I mean, after all, this is supposed to be a modern adaptation set to music of Romeo and Juliet, which is ultimately a tragedy. And you feel the tragedy, and you can feel the tragedy developing as the course of the movie progresses much more than you did. You know, I I never understood exactly, you know, we're going to have a knife fight, now we're going to all dance, Ah!" you know, in the original. It just was like, it never made sense to me. This makes it much more realistic. So, again, I agree with you on that point. Yeah, I certainly would agree with that. And I don't think it's against the level of recognition that we should have. This is our second consecutive year that we've had one of our international feature directors be nominated for Best Director. Last year, uh, I can't remember what the name of the director was, but it was for the Finnish film that you and I both liked, and I can't remember the name of that either at the moment. But uh, And now we have... Raisuki Hamagachi for Drive My Car, which I thought was still a great film. And we'll get to where I have it ranked out of my Best Picture nominees here in a second. But also for Jane Campion, this is the second time she's been nominated for Best Director. She's the only two-time nominee in this category for a woman. And she would only be the second ever female director to win the award behind Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. So it should be recognized if only for those things. But I just, I agree with you. I didn't think much of The Power of the Dog, and it will be reflected in my overall Best Picture rankings or Best Picture nominee rankings. And I don't know. I I thought that that movie did not hit me with the same impact that I think it did for a lot of other people. And uh, as such, I went with somebody else. All right. Before we get to the final category of Best Picture and our rankings individually, uh, let's go to the tiebreaker. So... Who did you pick to be your final person as the at, that we end on for In Memoriam? Poitiers. As did I. So I thought that might be the case. So who do you think will be second to last then? Because usually they finish off with like three big ones in a row or something. William Hurt. All right. I'm going to go with Peter Bogdanovich. Okay. I think Bogdanovich leads off. That's that was my one worry with that one is is that I I might lose it on that that he leads off in some fashion but we've actually lost quite a few people that could be considered for lead off as well as the ending so yeah I could see it both ways but I, I agree with you I think Poitier is the most likely culprit to be the finishing touch on on the these particular in memoriams this year so all right it's, if if indeed we're talking about this being a real point of honor. I mean, the first African-American performer other than Hattie McDaniel. McDaniel to win an Academy Award. And the fact that in, at one point in the 60s, in the middle of race issues in this country, he was the highest box office star in Hollywood. It deserves to be him. Agreed. I, I think that's the no-brainers for the end of that particular montage. So... All right, let's get to Best Picture rankings. We'll do them one at a time. Since you have not seen Drive My Car, that will be technically your 10th, and we'll just exclude it from your overall rankings. So I will give my 10th here, and then we'll move from there. 
the 10th entrant of Best Picture winner to me was King Richard. I think this was only nominated for Best Picture because we needed to coronate Will Smith to have his Oscar moment finally. The thing he's been trying to do for, I don't know, 20 years at this point between Ali or Seven Pounds or The Pursuit of Happiness, the amount of different films that he's attempted to try and finally get that one Oscar movie that he did. He has a terrible batting average with choices, but he at least got in a vehicle that we could all collectively say, oh, he did a good enough job. Now we can finally give him his Oscar. I didn't think that much of the movie. I thought it was fine. But it seems kind of a split between a biopic, which we're ordinarily care for, and a sports movie. And it was fine. It was enjoyable, but it was not one of the 10 best films that I saw this year. All right, so let's go to my number nine then. And that is The Power of the Dog. Simply put, this movie fell flat for me. It was long. It was bombastic. It was dry. It took a lot of time in order to finally set up what I think is supposed to be this like great reveal at the end of the movie that I accidentally ruined for myself. So it just never had the same impact on me that it did for just about anybody else that saw the movie. And so because of that, I just did not think much of this film. In fact, I mean, I know it's been up there. It's being celebrated as one of the, the great movies this year, but I just, I personally would not have had it in my 10 nominees either. So what was your number nine? Uh, licorice pizza. It just didn't speak to me at all. I'm sitting there going, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't get why I'm watching this. I don't understand why they're doing this. It just, it just, again, it just never spoke to me. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, that I'm not, it's an, it's a form of art that I don't appreciate. Maybe it's speaking to a generational aspect that I don't understand, but I, I just, I, I just didn't find it that entertaining, and um, it was it was fairly well done, but there was nothing about it that I found that redeeming. All right, my number eight. Two, uh, well, one of my favorite actors, if not my favorite actor, is Leonardo DiCaprio, and I've really enjoyed Adam McKay's films coming up to this point, so you'd think the combination of the two and a bunch of other stars that I really like would put this up much higher on my Best Picture nominee list. But unfortunately, Don't Look Up was such a difficult watch due to its length, the amount of things that they were doing, the fact that even though it was supposed to be a comedy, I very rarely laughed because it was cringing for about the last hour and a half to two hours of the movie because this hit the nose way too close to home for me to really appreciate what it was attempting to do. And so for number eight, Don't Look Up is my number eight Best Picture nominee this year. What is your number eight? My number eight is uh, King Richard. Again, there were certain aspects of the film that were entertaining and such, but it it wasn't. The, it was a good film. It's not a great film. It's not going to be long remembered in the annals of anything other than potentially Will Smith's performance. So that's why it's number eight for me. For number seven, I went with. Uh, Power of the Dog, for a long again the same reasons you had, which is that it it just was dry at points of time, and uh, and it really didn't. It, it was so hard to sit and and enjoy watching Cumberbatch his character and watch what was transpiring on the 
screen. It was almost, you could feel that the, the emotions, but the, it, it, I just didn't find that it was, uh, it almost like tried to pull the emotions out of you instead of letting them flow naturally. Uh, the characters were so over the board at times that I just had a difficult time with it. So that's why it's that seven for me. All right. My number seven uh, is Belfast. And I'll put it this way, and I, I don't mean it to be quite this harsh, but this is Kenneth Branagh's version of My Antonia to me. It's a collection of nostalgia from when he was growing up that's partially due to his own story. And while I can have an appreciation of that, I just didn't understand the point of view or what he was really trying to say or what we were supposed to take away from the film. It seemed more of a kind remembrance and with some really good actors in it and a really well done movie that I think at one time was kind of the front runner for best picture, but I don't know. It just was never special to me. And I'm not sure that after it's been picked over and scrutinized for the last probably what, five months at this point, six months that it would have gotten in a top five if we still had the old Oscar voting. So that comes in as my number seven, my number six licorice pizza that you already discussed. It was a hard movie to follow because it's also a collection of basically short stories that somebody just put together. I'm not really sure it had a narrative. It was never really trying to go from point A to point B. It was just seemingly these two people and their antics. And I would love to say kids, but because of the age difference, one's 16 and one's 25, that I can't even really say that because it just feels weird. And I'm not sure why he decided that having a 25-year-old hang out with a 16-year-old was somehow going to make for good Oscar fodder. It apparently did, but it's somewhat still creepy and disturbing. And I don't know. I enjoyed the film for what it was in just sitting through it, but it wasn't necessarily one that I was going, oh, that for sure has to be nominated for Best Picture. That was your number six. So what is six. your number six? I thought I gave six. You gave seven. Seven was the power of the dog. Okay. Number six, I had uh, Don't Look Up. Uh, a lot of the same reasons you gave. I enjoyed the film, but I also did not enjoy the film because it just almost angered me because so many of the things that I was watching I know exist in reality. I should probably say that it, it gets a little bit, or it should be a little bit higher up on it because of that, but it was so close. And so it was difficult for me to sit through and watch and enjoy it as a film because it just, it was, a, it was meant to be a statement on the situation of American society, of media, and of politics. And it just came too close to home for me to have uh, an ability to enjoy it as entertainment. Okay. So number five for me then is Drive My Car, a movie I watched last week. And I thought it was an exceptional representation of grief and how to deal with grief and moving on with your life when you have a significant relationship of yours basically end suddenly and what it is to kind of forgive yourself and understand the people that are no longer with you. It has a lot of different layers within that. 
again, it was a little bit slow for the first hour as it's kind of building up. I don't know if I've seen a movie that didn't have the title cards until 40 minutes into the movie, but this one did, and it was a very unique film. But that being said, it's uh, a little bit down because of, I think, what I think are the best four are clearly in a category among themselves this year. I think the best four movies that I saw this year really separated themselves at the top of the list, and those will be my next four. So I think very highly of this movie, but it's in kind of that second tier of categories of Best Picture nominees for me this year. So that is my number five. What is your number five? Uh, Nightmare Alley. Well done film, well acted, very dark and nemesing, very difficult ending to endure. It was well done, but if I, you know, I'm ranking based on what I'm seeing the other films are and what I saw as far as quality uh, overall of directing, cinematography, acting, and such, it comes in as fifth. I'll go ahead and give my fourth right away. That's Dune. Uh, It's a film that was extremely well done. It does not speak to me. I'm not a big sci-fi futuristic person. Um, I was surprised of how much I liked the film after I watched it because of of the quality of the film, but it didn't speak to me as much as the other three, so that's why it's four. Well, coincidentally, that is also my fourth film, and that was a film when I first saw it, I'm like, you know, that one really could compete for Best Picture, and I'm really excited to see the second part because I think Denny can really outdo himself. I still think that Arrival from, I think it was 2015, is one of the best movies of the last decade. And if you haven't seen that one, I highly will talk that movie up over and over. I know it's sci-fi, so it's not your cup of tea, but it will come up eventually on our review list. So we will be discussing that at a future date. But he is an outstanding director, and I think it's just a matter of time until we find the right one to finally coronate him for being one of the seminal directors of, I think, what's going to be this next you know, 10, 20 years of filmmaking because he is outstanding in just about everything that he does as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I haven't seen all of his films yet, but I'm excited to see whatever he's got coming up and especially the part two of this because I would compare this to kind of what we got when we had multiple parts of the Lord of the Rings franchise coming up that I think part two, if it's at all done well, or at least to the degree and level that this one is, could end up being somewhat like the Return of the King, that it ends up being celebrated for being that second part. So I'm very curious. I have talked up the world building a lot coming into this one already, as far as the level and degree of difficulty that he did in making this movie. I thought it was outstanding. And this is one of those that I thought should have been included just from not only a pop cultural standpoint, because I thought in a way that It was not a sequel. It was not a comic book film per se, but it did have a source material and a huge audience that did love it. It still somehow resonated with pop culture at large. And there are very few impactful films like this that get nominated for Oscars anymore. So I thought it definitely needed to be included. It was unfortunately though, the fourth best film that I saw this year. So number three, then uh, I will go with West Side Story. When I walked out of West Side Story, I thought for sure that that was the best movie I had seen that year, and it was outdone by two other films that I saw at different times. Excuse me, at that point, I'd actually already seen one of the two films that was ahead of it, but I thought it was at least in the running for best film of the year, 
And again, that has to do with Steven Spielberg's direction. I agree with your comments. You actually said it better than I did, that it didn't seem as fanciful and had a certain level of grit to it. So I will borrow your term there. Uh, I thought he did a much better take on what that film should have been to begin with. And while it definitely won't win Best Picture, not only for the box office and that we kind of will probably underappreciate what Steven Spielberg did with this movie, but also the fact that it has already won Best Picture. So that would by itself would be very unusual to have this film again win for Best Picture. So I don't think it has a chance in that category as well. But I thought it was the third best film I've seen this year. Uh, Three for me is uh, West Side Story. Again, it was extremely well done. As you've indicated, I've already talked about it. I don't need to go through it again. It was very close to my number two, which I'll give right now, which is Belfast. Belfast, to me, was something that spoke to me more. And again, I you know, I mean, you 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 review the world through uh, the lens of your history and your existence, who you are as a person, what your life experiences are, where you are as far as age, and so it is going to impact me much differently than it would you who are 20, 25 years younger than me, 26. I think I'm eh, 27, I think, when I when you were born. So, so that's my second. All right. The second best movie I saw this year, Nightmare Alley. This movie held my attention like almost no other movie this year did. I thought it was engaging. I thought it was unique. I really appreciated the Del Toro spin on this movie. I loved almost every direction we took with this. I never really fell out of the film. Even the part where we're transitioning between the carnival life and then when he's more of a stage performer, I thought it wasn't as clunky to me as other people thought. I I grossly disagree with a lot of the critics that kind of deadpanned this one. I honestly don't understand why this wasn't a bigger film because I thought this was outstanding compared to The Shape of Water that both you and I did not think that much of that year. I thought this was a much better done film and I'd really love to see Del Toro if he kind of keeps in these worlds where they're a little bit more grounded and realistic as opposed to the much more fantastical that he's usually known for. I don't have as much of an appreciation for those things, and he likes a lot of the weirdness, which I'm sure comes out in the carnival aspect of this, but to me, this was the best film of his that I've ever seen. I loved the twist at the end. I know it's incredibly cynical, but I'm like, oh, okay, I'd see where you're going with this. And so for me, this was the second best film of the year. I had it very close to being my number one. Like, it, I the, the difference between one and four is very, very slight. So I, I thought all four of these were outstanding this year. And I know that there's not as much of an, a level of an appreciation for the top four of these films by comparison to some other years, especially since I don't think three out of the four of these have any chance of winning Best Picture right now. But... To me, that was the second best film I saw this year. Now, the first best film, I think if you've been counting at home, you know we both had the top film of the year being the same. And uh, after we saw this movie, I thought want to say we watched it around, what, maybe Thanksgiving? Maybe it was a little bit before that? Yeah, we both stayed up and watched it. 
Do you remember what I said immediately when we finished the film? No. That's the best movie I've seen this year. Okay. And it's it really hasn't changed. No. It is beautiful. It is engaging. It is lovely. It is heartwarming. It's simple. It doesn't need to necessarily be um, wrought with cynicism or complication. It's just a nice, heartwarming story that's about something that I guess I would have never had an appreciation for and gives you a lot of background in a way that no other movie I thought really had for, I mean, when we talk about diversity, this is kind of one of those diversity areas that we haven't really delved into. And that's those with a lot of disabilities. I know we got into it a little bit with sound of metal last year, but to me, this was a better version of that as far as uh, a play to the disability community. So for me, Coda was the best picture that I've seen this year and it seems to be yours as well. Yes, and I think for different reasons. Yes, the the story of disabilities and overcoming disabilities is a great portion of the story. But for me, I lived this film to some extent. I mean, I was growing up, my family relied on me to do things that a uh, teenager should not be responsible for doing, that I had to be involved in a lot of the decision-making because of the dynamics of the house and, and things and my dad dealing with his own personal issues as a recovering alcoholic. He tried to avoid a lot of decisions and such, so my mother would rely on me. And having reached a point in my life where I knew that I had to separate because it was not healthy for me and for them, to for me to continue in that role. So the daughter in there and I, I felt her pain the, the feeling of the sense of obligation, the sense of responsibility, and the sense of, no, I only have one life, and I need to move on and do what I want to do. The other part of this that gets downplayed is, is the role of the teacher. If you've ever had a teacher who sees something in you that you've never seen in yourself, this film is for you also, because... I, I, I really thought his performance was outstanding. Uh, and I'm drawing a blank as to the actor's name off uh, at the moment. But he, I thought he was absolutely wonderful. And uh, so for all of these three reasons, this is by far the best film for me. I thought for a long time Belfast was going to be closer than it was. In retrospect, I look back on it and it's not even close. Agreed on absolutely all points. Let's go to should and will win. I think we both agree that this should win. And it's kind of gotten a push behind it lately in the last, I don't know, maybe month, that it could be a dark horse that suddenly sneaks up on people, particularly due to the Oscars voting procedure, which does the ranked choice voting system. So this might be everybody's second or third choice this year. And I think that might be the case, which may push it to be the actual winner as opposed to everybody's number one choice, which I think the Oscars are a little bit more divided on the power of the dog. I'm not sure, even though that's the front runner and the favorite that that will win. It may have the most number one votes, but I don't think it's going to be that far ahead in the number one votes that it's definitely going to win. So I think recently you would say that it's either the power of the dog, which has been the clear front runner for probably about five months at this point, or 
we have a dark horse and this is the one film that might sneak in as the dark horse to win it. I have gone chalk almost in every category up to this point just so that I can have a little bit of fun at the end. I'm going to say Coda's going to win. Should win Coda, going to win Coda. Um, having watched the reaction, watched the SAG Awards, and reading The Room, this is too good of a feel-good movie for it. I think part of the, the Power of the Dogs, the, the backing of Power of the Dog was the story itself and the nature of the sexual orientation. But we've had other films that have done that, that have been have won Academy Awards in large part because of the subject nature. I don't think Hollywood's going to feel as, as obligated to do that this time around. So they'll give the uh, best director and best uh, screenplay, but then they're going to shift and go with the uh, sentimental favorite for best picture. So should win and, and is going to win. I also pick Coda. I think the only way that this doesn't win is if enough people haven't seen it because it was on Apple. Given that I think the majority of these movies have been seen via streaming in some capacity, HBO Max had the Dune release simultaneously to its theatrical release doing due in part to the variants and everything that was going on. But Coda is an Apple plus or TV plus movie. And so that's been primarily the only way to see it for most people. And Netflix is still hated in a way that almost none of the other streamers are to this point. I still think that might be working against it. But if uh, Coda doesn't win, it's probably because enough people don't have Apple and have not seen it. Although the Academy of Members should have Apple TV+. Plus. I mean, come on. Apple, use some of the cash you have on hand. Make fucking copies and send it to every member of the Academy. They all get screeners. I'm just saying that, you know, okay. Well, you know, I'd hope that would be the case. So if you're an Academy member, you can request a screener of, of any of the movies nominated. In fact, in order to do the nominees ahead of time, like all the guild members get screeners of the potential movies up for nomination. Okay. Well, and to be honest, every person I've convinced to watch the film has absolutely loved the film when they finished it. Has mom seen it yet? No. I've sat, I've tried to get her to watch it and I've suggested it when we were watching and she's just not bothered. I don't understand why. I, I think it's a film that would really touch her and speak to her, but she just, I don't know. All right, so let's wrap this up then. You have all of our predictions. You can watch the Oscars on ABC. I think it's going to be the uh, 27th and, uh, I know that there's some controversies going on with how many of the categories are going to be happening before the actual show starts and that they're going to get edited versions, but I'm okay with that, frankly, because I don't need to see the best live-action short give a five-minute thank you to 17 different people, and then I'll say one word that or one sentence that's actually somewhat meaningful to me because that's for the people in the room. It's not necessarily for me at home. This is a TV show. Get over it. (laughs) With that being said, uh, you can watch our predictions and uh, we will let you know who won the uh, actual Oscars preview coming up here in the next few weeks. But we get back to our regular schedule next week. Any remaining thoughts on the Oscars or anything else we have coming up? No. 
Sounds good. I don't really either. Uh, I'm hoping to have fun with these Oscars. I think if the power of the dog wins, it's going to be a little bit deflating. So I kind of made the prediction for Coda just because I really kind of need that to happen. But otherwise, uh, we will see you again next week. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Next week, we will be discussing possibly the greatest sports movie ever and definitely the one you should watch every March. Hoosiers from 1986, directed by David Anspaugh, written by Angelo Pizzo, starring Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, and Dennis Hopper. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.